Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Take your Bibles out, turn to Genesis chapter 50. We are in our family series, as you can tell. And uh, looking the first week, we looked at keys to building a stable, successful family and looked at some very practical keys. Last week, we looked at human sexuality and how that impacts the family and what that's like in marriage and, and God's grace and restoration even outside of marriage. So God can forgive, God can restore and redeem. And we looked at that last week. Now, here's... Here's the deal. Let's, let's do our verse first of all. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Let's say that together. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And so the bottom line is if we're gonna build healthy, stable families, it's gotta be built with the Lord Jesus Christ and on his foundation and with his help. Now, here's the challenge today. Some of you are trying to build these healthy families, stable families, but, but you come from a background of deep hurt, deep pain. Maybe growing up, you were in a dysfunctional family. Maybe you had a situation where your mom or dad bailed out on you and you were raised in a single-parent home. Maybe you're estranged from brothers or sisters and you haven't spoken in years because of anger or something that went wrong, something went awry. Whatever the case may be, there's a lot of hurt and pain built up. There may be some of you in here today who were even molested as a child or physically abused or, or verbally abused in some way. And so you're carrying that deep hurt and that deep pain and it's keeping you from having what God intends for a healthy, beautiful, successful family. And so how do we do that? How do we forgive? How do we move to reconciliation? How do we bring wholeness and stability into our families that have been hurt and torn up by pain or brokenness in some way or another? Now this morning, we're gonna look at probably one of the most dysfunctional families you will ever see in the word of God, and that's the family of Joseph and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. He had 12 sons by four different ladies. And so you can imagine the division that went on in that house and the strife that went on this house. And this house is so dysfunctional, these boys are so dysfunctional that they even wanna kill one of their own brothers, a man by the name of Joseph. So let's stand together, let's look at it, and learn from this today, Genesis 50 and verse number 14. And we're going to see that it is possible to forgive. It is possible for God to bring reconciliation and restoration and healing of the deepest wounds and hurts there may be. Now, we're, we're picking the story up at the very end of his life. So he's already met his brothers. They've already come back to Egypt. But I will go back and we'll fill in the gaps as we go along today. But we want to start with Genesis 50 and verse number 14 this morning. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Isn't that great? They had this all memorized. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating uh, you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of, of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves. 
But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is, wrong, what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And he has reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Wow, how, how can a guy do that to his 10 brothers who wanted to kill him, sold him into slavery? How is that even possible? Let's take a look this morning. Father, we just love you so much. We thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we will learn and grow from it. I pray, God, that even today in the service, chains of, of brokenness and hurt and wounds will be broken today, and there will be healing that will take place, and, and this will be the beginning of a time of restoration, even in their own homes and families, we pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord, that with you all things are possible. So have your way in this service, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you guys. You may be seated. Now, by the time of Genesis 50, Joseph is the second in command in all of Egypt. And Egypt is the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. And so Joseph is probably the, most, the second most powerful man in the world. And God has raised him up to save the nations from a severe famine that is going to come across the Middle East. But Joseph didn't arrive at Pharaoh's house by choice. We got to go all the way back to Genesis 37, and we find his 10 brothers, and his 10 brothers hatch a plan to kill Joseph. They want to wipe him out. They want to destroy him. Now, let me give you the backdrop to how we get to this point. Joseph is a 17-year-old, and he's a cocky teenager. How many know 17-year-olds know everything? Isn't that amazing? Just when they're 16, 17, they know everything there is to know about life. They know more than their parents do, and that's just kind of a given. So, so Joseph is a cocky 17-year-old because it's not just enough to be the favorite son of Joseph, but he flaunts it. <laughs> and everybody knows he's the favorite. And, and his dad gives him a coat. And he wears this coat around, and he kind of struts around, and every time he struts that with that coat on, it's like putting a red cape in front of a bull. They are ready to kill him. They're ready to wipe him out and destroy him because of what he's doing. Now, the thing the coat symbolized was the inheritance. And so what the father is telling everybody else is Joseph is going to get the double portion. Now, it should have gone to Reuben, who was Leah's firstborn, who is the first wife of Jacob. But Reuben uh, had intercourse with one of other Joseph's, uh, Jacob's concubines. And so you don't mess with your dad's woman. And so because he messed with his father's woman, he lost the inheritance. And so it would go to the firstborn of his second wife, Rachel. And the firstborn was Joseph. And so he is going to get the double portion, the double share, and everybody in the family knows about that and sees that. Not only that, Joseph is probably a righteous kid. He's a good kid. He's a, he's a, a, a follower of God, a God worshiper, a God server. And there's something about the darkness doesn't like the light. And so because he is a good boy and all the others are kind of uh, have their own problems, they hate him all the more. Not only that, but Joseph is a dreamer. And so he has these amazing dreams. And guess what the dreams are all about? Hey, guess what, guys? One day you're all going to bow down to me. 
That really went over well. That, that was, uh, you know, and, and it's good to dream dreams, and that's okay, but some dreams are meant to keep to yourself. You don't always tell everybody your dreams and your visions and your ambitions, especially when it involves somebody else bowing down to you. And he said, even dad's gonna bow down to me one day. It's all gonna happen. God showed me all this stuff and dream, and it makes them all the matter. And so they plot this, uh, make this, hatch this plot to kill him. We're just gonna wipe them out, we're gonna kill them, we're gonna, we're gonna take care of them once and for all. And so they dig a pit, and they're gonna storm in the pit till the right kind comes to kill them, but they're entrepreneurs. And there's a group of traders coming by, and so why waste all that potential income? Why not just sell them into slavery? And so they make the decision, we can get some money for this guy, we'll be done with him, we'll be rid of him, and they sold him into slavery, and so the Midianites would take him down into Egypt where he would serve as a slave. And so they made some money off of him. And then they take his coat, they take the goat's blood, they dip it in that blood, and then they take it to dad and say, look, the animals just tore apart your sweet little boy. Now you get an idea how messed up this family really was and how much they hurt him. It says in Genesis 37, verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him. Now these 12 brothers are no saints themselves. We already talked about Reuben and what he did with his father's concubine. Simeon and Levi on one occasion, they wiped out an entire town of men. They talked them into getting circumcised so they can marry their daughter. And when they're circumcised, they go through and slaughter and kill all the men. And so they had to get out of there very fast. And so they fled the town of Shechem and they left on their way. Judah would have a prostitute. He'd see a prostitute on the side of the road and he would have relations with her. And so he had his own set of problems going on. And so Joseph's brothers are cadiving and it's a house divided and they're all following their own mother. And so it is a messed up, dysfunctional home to say the least. And they want to kill Joseph and get rid of him. 22 years later, Joseph and his brothers find themselves in court, in, in, in the palace, seeking to buy grain from the land of Egypt because of the intense famine in the land. Now, I wanna tell you, if your brothers are standing in front of you after all that they did to you, if you were like me, you would be thinking, how can I get even with these guys? How can, I can kill them, I can throw them into prison, like I spent some time in prison, I can uh, yell at them, scream at them, do whatever I want to do because they're right in front of me. But I just read the verse to you. Uh, He hugs them. He forgives them. God meant it for good. This is not about you. And so he lets them off the hook. He makes this incredible decision to forgive after all the pain they brought in Joseph's life. Now the question for us to wrestle with today is how how can he possibly do this? How can any normal guy forgive someone who hurt him so very, very badly along the way? I wanna give you three things this morning. You may wanna jot these down. Number one, if you're gonna forgive somebody and let it go, first of all, pray for those who hurt you. Starts by praying for those who hurt you. Now, we don't actually find any particular prayers in the word of God that he prayed for his brothers, but we know that Joseph was a godly man. It says many times in the account from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50 that the spirit of God was with Joseph, that the favor of God was upon him, the favor of the Lord was with him, and so we know that Joseph was a godly man. You don't have the favor of the Lord, you don't have this relationship with God without being a man of prayer. And so we can assume, and he's also given dreams, he's given the ability to interpret dreams, 
dreams. He is a very godly, spiritual man. He conducts himself in that way throughout his entire life. And so we can assume he is a man of prayer. Listen, if you want to be close to God, be a person of prayer. That's how we draw closer to him. That's how we stay in his presence. That's how we come to know the will of God for our lives and the plan of God for our lives. It's that relationship that comes through prayer. But I can, if he prays all this time with God, I can imagine he prayed for his dad and prayed for all his brothers. And he would say, God, you bless Reuben and you bless Simeon and you bless Issachar and, and, and you bless Judah and you bless dad and you bless Jacob and you keep him in good health and you keep him strong. And I'm sure he had his prayer list right there and he called every one of those guys out before God on a regular basis. You see, when you begin to pray for somebody else, God will soften your heart and your spirit towards them. You can't pray for somebody and hate them at the same time. And if you're going to have the strength and ability to forgive anybody or release them or let them go, especially someone who has badly, severely hurt you or wounded you, it will begin by you praying for them on a regular basis and giving them over to the Lord Jesus Christ to deal with. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. You see this in the New Testament. This is Jesus Sermon on the Mount, it is the ethics of how kingdom people live their lives, Matthew 6, 5, 6, and 7. And uh, this is not how we get saved, it's how now as followers of Christ, this is now how we live our life and how we treat other people. And so we read in Matthew 5 and verse number 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, we can read this verse, and we can all nod our head, and it sounds real easy, but in reality, this is a very challenging, difficult thing to do. It is hard to pray for somebody who's abusing us, who's persecuting us, who is talking about us. Everything in our flesh wants to lash out and get even, wants to prove that I am right and they are wrong, wants to defend myself because we're afraid about what other people might think. And so it's very challenging to pray for somebody else first. But I will tell you, as you trust God and you step out in faith and you begin to pray for that person that'll hurt you, it will get easier as you pray every single day. And pretty soon that anger and that hatred and bitterness will turn into love. Pray for those. Pretty soon you'll have empathy for where they came from and what their own hurts were. And you'll have compassion to the things that they have went through and struggled with themselves. At times you may feel like your prayers aren't doing anything. Say, well, God, I'm praying. They're not changing. They're still mean as snakes. They still treat me like dirt. And I've been praying for them. What's happening? Well, what is happening is you are beginning to pray for them. God is changing you. He may not immediately change them. They may never change. Now, in many cases, they will because they'll see your love. They'll feel your love. They'll see your acts of kindness. But, but what happens is, as you pray for somebody else, God begins to set you free. He begins to change you. He begins to give you healing in your own spirit. He will change your heart and your attitude. Look at Matthew 6 and verse number 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive 
your sins. You see, our prayers to forgive others does something inside of us. It releases God's mercy in healing in my own life. So I pray for somebody, pray for that person who hurt me. I forgive them in the name of Jesus. I I lift them up to the Lord every single day. And what happens is God's mercy begins to flood over me. God's healing floods over my life. I experience God's forgiveness in a greater dimension. It is amazing because, and then he says reverse of that is if you can't let it go, if you don't release them, if you don't forgive them, then I can't work in your life and do what I need to do in your heart and life and heal you. Turn to Matthew 5. Look at Matthew 5. Look at 23 and 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, remember that you have something, that your brother has something against you. Now, it doesn't mean you have something against them. You just know he has something against you. It says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. So he is saying before we come and offer up our worship and praise, our right relationships on the earth are so important that we need to make it right with them first. You see, there's a problem there. First John, he says, how can you say I love my father whom you've not seen and you don't love your brother whom you can see? And so what is happening by your very act of coming in and worshiping God, but you hate someone else that is out there around you or you're withholding forgiveness from them, you're contradicting God's word in 1 John, but you're also locking yourself down in prison in your life of unforgiveness. But when you begin to pray for them, the grace of God floods your heart and life and he literally sets you free. Otherwise, all you're doing in your worship and praise is offering lip service. Because in reality, your hearts are far from the Lord. It's evidenced by the way you treat other people for whom Christ died. So he says, right relationship is critical to our praise and our worship. It all works together. So the question for us today is, have we forgiven that person who caused division in our family? Have we forgiven that person who may have harmed me or betrayed me in some way? Have we prayed for them? Have we released them? Have we let it go? That's the first step. Second step is, he takes it a little bit further. The word of God says, bless those who hurt you. Now, I pray for somebody I lift them up before God. That's between me and the Lord. The word bless means to speak well of. Now it involves my mouth. Now it involves what I say about somebody else. So it means you won't curse them. You won't speak evil of them, either privately or in public, in any way that is negative. And I will tell you, this is also a hard assignment. It's hard to keep our mouth shut. We always want to get the last word. And so someone tweet something about us, we're going to tweet right back. I like that word, tweet. We'll tweet right back. We'll, we'll get even. We'll, we'll, we'll say exactly what comes to our mind. It's hard to do that. You can't say something good. My mom and dad used to always say, then just don't say anything at all. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, look at verse 27. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. So someone's speaking evil of you. They're cursing you. They're saying bad things about you. They're posting stuff all over Facebook about you. What do you do? Say something good about them. Bless them. 
for those who mistreat you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now let's go back to Joseph for a moment. For 22 years, Joseph has been estranged from his brothers. That's how long he was gone. He was 13 years in between slavery and between prison. Then he was seven years at the height of plenty. And then the Bible we read in Genesis 50, two years into the famine, uh, his brothers appear before him. So, so you've got a, a span of about 22 years he's been separated from them. And for 22 years, his brothers have had to deal with the fact of what they did to their brother and uh, how they sold him into slavery, how they did what they did. And they're probably thinking to themselves, you know, may, he may have been beaten severely and, and they took a whip and they beat him. And he may have even died in slavery from the abuse he went under. And so they're dealing with all this kind of stuff that is going on. And they may have put it out of their mind during the day because they got to work for dad, but at night they lay their head down and they could hear the cries of Joseph as he is being led away behind a camel heading on into the nation of Egypt. And they dealt with those memories in their heart for the last 22 years. Now, at some point, for you to deal with the pain of what you've done, you begin to harden your heart. You begin to encase your, your heart so you can get along with yourself and live with yourself because of what you've done. And so their hearts now are very hard and very callous. They probably remember the screams of their dad when they handled him that bloody coat, and he cries and he wails and he misses his brother, and, and again, they feel all that pain and all their heartache but over time, their conscience gets very hard. Now, here's what God does. God allows a famine to come into the land to shake up the stability of these 10 guys and also to reach down to where their conscience is at and soften their heart. And so he begins to deal with them and work with them. Now, you can imagine, they've now, in Genesis 37, they come and they stand before Joseph. They don't recognize him. It's been 22 years. And Joseph says three words that literally terrifies them to death. He says, I am Joseph. And with that, the Bible says they literally become terrified and they are speechless and they could not speak a word. And, and they look at him like they're looking at a ghost and they don't know what to do or what to say. Now, this is Joseph's chance to get even. He can get revenge. He can do whatever he wants to do. Now, if it had been me, we'd have thought of something. But, but listen to me. Even if I had not killed them or thrown them into prison, I at least would have yelled at them. I would have had my day to open my mouth and tell them what lousy brothers they were and all that they did to me, and I would have really reamed them out. I would have just killed them. I would have said everything I could have thought of. But the Bible says Joseph spoke kindly to them. And then he begins to talk about God's master plan. Go back to Genesis chapter 45. He hugs them, begins to cry and weep over them. And uh, we get the account here in Genesis 45. Look at verse number three. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry yourselves for selling me there because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. 
For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five, there will be not plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for the remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Then, So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. So instead of cursing, Joseph said, you know what, it's all God. It's all good, it's all God. God sent me here, God placed me here, and you were simply a part of God's master plan in order to save lives. Now, it's natural to retaliate. It's natural to get even. Natural to let everybody know what's been done to us, but not Joseph, he would not do that. Not once does he ever speak negatively of his brothers. But the forgiveness that he had on this moment when they come face to face didn't start in that moment. It started in the last 22 years through praying for his brothers. It's the prayers all throughout that time that enabled him on this occasion to stand face to face with them and forgive them. Let it go. So what do you do? Number one, pray for somebody. Number two, speak good about them. And number three, the last thing is, do good to those who hurt you. Do something good for them. Do something kind for them. Go above, go further. And so the Bible says he literally kisses them, he falls upon them, he is weeping and crying over them, and then he reassures them that I'm gonna take care of you, I'm gonna feed you, I'm gonna give you money, come come to Goshen, we'll give you all the land that's here, this is in chapter 50, Uh, we'll clothe you, we'll take care of everything you need. And then he says something in uh, Genesis 45, 24, he says, and by the way, on your way back to your dad Jacob, don't fight on the way. Don't quarrel on the way. He knows human nature and he knows what his brothers are really like. But Joseph gave his brothers something they desperately needed. He gave them life itself. Because of Joseph, their lives were spared from the famine. Their dad is spared and many more in the nation of Israel and Egypt and all around there. They would have been dead without Joseph's help and he gives life away. Joseph is the ultimate act of doing good in the face of evil. He's a picture of that in our lives today. Now the question is, how could Joseph do this? How can he do all those things? And here's the bottom line. He understood God had a bigger plan. When you begin to understand God has a bigger plan and a bigger agenda for you, it frees you up to forgive. You can let it go because ultimately you're in God's hands, you're in Jesus' hands, and and nobody can do anything that will take you out of the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one can separate you from the love of God. And when you realize who you are in Christ Jesus, it frees you up to forgive somebody else and release them and let it go. It frees you up to pray for them. It frees you up to speak good about them. It frees you up to do acts of kindness to them. Why? Because ultimately, I'm in God's hands. There is a verse in Romans 8, 28. It says, for all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now the question is, do we believe that scripture or not? If I am a child of God, he can even use the worst of circumstances to bring about good. All things work together for good to those who love God. 
And so if I believe that, if I can see the hand of God in that, if I can see that God meant it for good, then I can release them. I won't seek revenge. I won't speak bad about them. I I won't hang on to it. I'll let it go. I'll release them because ultimately I am in God's hands. That's what gives us the ability to let it go. God's bigger picture allows me to pray and bless and do good. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Romans 12 and verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Now, sometimes people will not make peace with you. You do your part. You forgive them. You release them. You let it go. If it's possible, live at peace with all men. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, we don't, when we pray for them, say, God, you get them. But what I do is I release them to God. I say, God, I let them go. I'm not going to hold on forgiveness against them. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to hate them. They are your creation, and I give them over to you. Release them in the name of Jesus. And then he he says this incredible verse, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. He's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One commentator, and I've read different things on this, but one of them I read was very interesting. The burning coals analogy, we don't understand that. But all their meals and all their water was purified over burning coals. So they would create these burning coals of fire, and they would purify their water. They'd heat their water up. They'd cook over the burning coals. All their meals were cooked. All their bread was baked. And uh, everything was done over those burning coals of fire. So if your enemy runs out of coals, you give him your coals and plenty more and dump it on his head. And when you take it in the context, if he's hungry, feed him. Or if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Then this kind of all flows in that same context of pour those burning coals of fire. Share. Give it away. Freely you received and freely give. And freely we receive forgiveness. Freely I give that forgiveness away. Paul says when a person hurts you, don't hold it. Let it go. And in this way you overcome evil with good. Hmm? Joyce Meyer is a well-known Christian author and teacher. And some of you, if you've read her books, know this story. But she tells the story about her dad who raped her over 200 times as she was a child. Can you imagine your father raping you again and again and again? She says in her book it was over 200 times because she kept count every time it happened. The devastating pain she lived with, the, the hurt, the bitterness, the self-loathing of, of the shame and all that went along with rape and all that happened in her again and again and no way of escape and, and no way out. Decades later, she was studying the Word of God, the book of Romans, and she read Romans 12 and 21. And it said, overcome evil with good. 
Her parents are now estranged from her during this time, but God spoke to her heart and said, you've got to overcome this evil with good. So she began to do some things for her parents, and she began to buy groceries and take them by their house, and she, be, she paid for their insurance. She had a house built for them, and as you know, God has greatly blessed her in her life and in her ministry. Her father got older and got very ill, and she took care of him late in his uh, old age and before, her, before he died, her father came to her sobbing and asked for her forgiveness. And it was in that moment he gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she writes, one of the greatest privileges I had in my life was to baptize my own father in water. And shortly after that, he passed away and went to heaven to be with the Lord, all because of someone overcame evil with good. Now, she would write how sorry she was about all the times she was raped. But as she looks back over God's plan and saw God's hand in everything, she says, I am no longer sorry I was raped if that led to my father coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ and being in heaven today. That's amazing. That's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the power of forgiveness. And that's the power of healing that he wants to bring to every one of us and even our families. Joseph said, you intended it for evil. You tried to hurt me. It was evil on your part, evil intent, but God intended it for good. The saving of the nations. That's the power of forgiveness. Now listen, I don't know how you have suffered in your life or what you may have been through growing up or what you may have suffered along the way or even just recently. Many of you, your husband walked out of you, cheated on you. Others had a wife leave you and cheat on you. Children abandoned you, separated from brothers or sisters all along the way. And even as I'm bringing the word today, some of these past memories are kind of coming up and rushing over you this morning. And it still hurts. And, and you're trying to forget it. You're trying to forgive. But, but you don't know how you can humanly do that. But I will tell you, listen to me. Without forgiveness, there is no healing. Without forgiveness, there is no healing. If you want to be healed and made whole today, it starts with forgiveness. I quoted earlier, Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely give. God forgave us amazing grace of all the stuff we've ever done. He took nails in his hands and feet to pay for our forgiveness. How can I withhold forgiveness from anyone else? You will never have to forgive someone more than God has forgiven you. There's a story in, 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 about Joseph, and, and Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim, Ephraim means fruitful, land of plenty, and, and, and he, was one of the, he was the largest tribe in Israel as he got the double portion, and Ephraim would be one of the 12, and Manasseh would be the other of the 12. But the word Manasseh, listen to what he named his son Manasseh. It means, for God hath made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. God hath made me to forget. And some of your hurts are so deep, you say, I can't forgive, and I can't forget it, and I can't let it go. But Joseph would say, God hath made me forget, because there is a spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ inside of you that is greater than anything else you will face in this earth. You can't do it in your own flesh. You can't do it in the natural. But God's indwelling Holy Spirit will enable you to forgive today. You're ready to forget the hurtful past. It starts with forgiveness. 
Now you say, Pastor, how can I literally forget? Your brain's like a computer. Everything you've ever done is stored up there. How can I blank out my memories? The word biblical definition of forget is to move out in faith like the event never happened. So you know the event happened, you remember the event, but you treat that person like they never did anything to you in your life. That's that step of faith, and that's biblical forgetting. God's God. God knows everything, but he says he forgets our sin, he buries it in the sea, never to be brought up again. Now, God wouldn't be God if he didn't know everything that happened from the beginning to the very end, but he doesn't hold our sins against us. He treats us like we've never sinned, like I am holy, pure, and just before him. That's biblical forgetting and forgiveness. And so if Joseph can forgive his brothers and see God's greater plan, if Joyce Meyer can forgive a father who repeatedly rapes her and sees the good that came out of that, I wanna tell you, through the help of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God, you can forgive today and you can find freedom. We talked about breaking chains. We sang about breaking chains. It can happen for you this morning in the service. Hallelujah. What if you could take that weight and burden and pain of your past that you've been carrying around, give it to Jesus today? What if God can do in your family something you thought was impossible as you look back at your family and how dysfunctional and fractured it may be simply because you start by choosing to forgive and it'll start with you. It'll begin to spread to the other family members. God can make your family whole again. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.